If you have a Bible with you, I invite you to join me in Zechariah 6. The text is also printed for you in the bulletin, and you can follow, follow along there. As we prepare to go to God's Word, let us ask His blessing on the reading and preaching of His Word. Would you bow with me? Father, as we come to this text, I ask that you would give us hearts of understanding. I pray that through hearts of understanding, you would also work in our hearts to bring conviction and comfort, drawing us away from the sin of self and to the hope of our Savior. Through this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Friends, this is the inerrant and infallible Word of God. Again, I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, four chariots came out from between two mountains. And the mountains were mountains of bronze. The first chariot had red horses. The second, black horses. The third, white horses. And the fourth chariot, dappled horses. All of them strong. And I answered and said to the angel who talked with me, What are these, my Lord? And the angel answered and said to me, These are going out to the four winds of heaven after presenting themselves before the Lord of all the earth. The chariot with the black horses goes toward the north country. The white ones go after them, and the dappled ones go toward the south country. When the strong horses came out, they were impatient to go and patrol the earth. And he said, go, patrol the earth. And they patrolled the earth. Then he cried to me, behold, those who go toward the north country have set my spirit at rest in the north country. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Michael's already asked you in a time of confession, but I put it back before you now. How do you define victory? It is an intentionally broad, intentionally open-ended question for a reason. You see, where we go, in terms of answering that question of, How we define victory really says a lot about the conflict that we may or may not be experiencing right now. Imagine if I asked that very question of a cancer patient, I would receive a clear answer. I tread these waters lightly because I have not had personal experience with this disease, but I imagine the weight of the prognosis, the dailiness of the treatment would offer a constant reminder to the cancer patient of their great need and of the stakes involved. They would then have a very clear, very defined understanding of what victory would mean. I also imagine that in the uncertainty 
that cancer brings to the patient, to the family, that if that patient were able by some good gift of providence to know that their victory over this disease would be certain, would be guaranteed, that 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 hope might certainly provide a sense of encouragement, endurance, and even joy in the process of the treatment. Our understanding of need has everything to do with our definition of victory, with our embrace, our longing for victory. And so I ask you, what is your greatest need? As we consider that question, what is your greatest need? I want us to try and explore this text to understand this this imagery that the Lord is putting before us in Zechariah 6. Uh, Go back to this question of need and then in the combination of the text and our understanding of need, begin to apply it to our everyday lives. This vision is the last of, of eight visions given to Zechariah over the course of one night. And maybe you heard, noticed a certain symmetry between this last of the visions and and the first vision that we explored. In the first vision, we we saw a vision of of a horseman riding a red horse. and, And behind him were groupings of horses multicolored. In this vision, we see a chariot. And it is pulled by, or we see four chariots pulled by a collection of multicolored horses. In the first vision, the horseman was coming back, reporting before the angel of the Lord from the mission they had been sent out on. And the report that we heard was that the nations were at rest. We understood in that vision that that rest was a sinful, neglectful rest. In this, the eighth vision, the chariots are not returning from a reconnaissance mission, but they are going out on the offensive. And the report that we heard at the end of this offensive is not that the nations are at rest, but that the Spirit of God is at rest. This vision was a picture of the Lord our God as a divine warrior. He's the God who fights for the vindication of His holy name, and He fights for His people. Not only do we see symmetry between this vision and the first vision, we also can look ahead to the book of Revelation and see images in Revelation chapter 6 as the Lord would send out what we know as the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Those four horsemen would be the agents of God's wrath sent out 
to be instruments of wrath on the people and nations who had rejected the Lord God Almighty. Now, when we see that connection in Revelation 6, and we see the very clear symmetry here in Zechariah 6, we're tempted to look at the colors of the horses and assign roles. What, what connections do we make here and there? And at that point, I want to offer just a brief point. The imagery and the symbolism that, that we see in these apocalyptic visions in Zechariah that are there in Revelation, that they are rich. And, and some of us are, are tempted to assign specific meanings to every little detail, every little color, every little number. And then in assigning those specific meanings to make dogmatic conclusions based on those details. Now, I'm not saying that those meanings are not here, but I am telling you I don't know what they mean. So let's be careful. Let's be careful because the clear meaning is sufficient. The clear meaning is that God's wrath will one day be poured out and He will usher in the full and final victory. The clear meaning is that our Lord is victorious and He will bring victory. So with a focus on the clear meaning, let's look at this image. The chariots are sent out. They have, they have gathered in, in a divine council and, and they're sent out from, from behind the two bronze mountains. Again, we can search for meanings of the mountains and what are these mountains and what does it mean that they are of bronze, but simple meaning is this, that they are coming out from the place of the Lord's heavenly abode and they are coming from a place of strength and security. They are being sent out to the four winds. Yet as I read the text, you didn't hear four directions. The first sets of horses were sent to the north the next to the south. Maybe if you were following along in the NIV, you would have heard the second heading to the west. There's no mention of that in the Hebrew. It's, a, it's an addition by the translators that might be a bit sloppy. But the text tells us that the God's agents of wrath, these chariots are sent to the north and the south. Why the north and the south? Well, well, Jerusalem's enemies, Babylon, Assyria, Persia, generally located to the north, Egypt to the south. But in the mention of the four winds, we, we're reminded that there is nowhere on this earth that is outside the reach of our God. And did you also notice the, the mention of the strength 
Now these horses, that they are chomping at the bit, ready to go, and the Lord is ready to send them. How often are we tempted to think in hypothetical terms about the Lord's rule and reign over the earth? This passage tells us that His sovereign reign is not hypothetical. It is real, and in the fullness of time, He will execute a full and final reckoning of justice on the earth. So notice the end of the vision. The first night vision given to Zechariah, we heard that the nations were at rest while Jerusalem struggled. But here we have a simple yet profound statement. The Spirit of the Lord is at rest. Again, the simple meaning points us to victory. A victory that has been won fully and finally. So let me ask you, when you read this, when you hear it, where does your mind go? I remember when I was a young man teaching a uh, youth Sunday school class. And I, for some reason, taught through Revelation. (laughs) Having no idea what I was teaching. Thank the Lord He is sovereign over His children. But I remember preparing to teach this book and I remember studying it at night in my home and and every little sound got me alert. I I found myself terrified at what I was reading and preparing. Where does your mind go when you hear these apocalyptic stories? Do you go to fanciful battle scenes? Do you go to endless charts trying to lay out the time and, and place of the events in Revelation? Do they make you fearful? We're confused because we don't understand and are unfamiliar with apocalyptic literature, so it sounds scary, but do not forget the purpose of these visions. They are given by God to serve as an encouragement to His people. To encourage a people who are oppressed, who are struggling, who are longing for victory. And God gives them this vision that He will win the battle. In Zechariah, the Lord is building up His people. He is strengthening them in the midst of trial. This text is meant to sustain them with hope. A hope that their victory is certain. So, does this text come as an encouragement to you? It may depend on how we have come to define victory. In Zechariah's day, this message most certainly would have been an encouragement. These people had been called by God back home from exile in Babylon, and they had been given a task by God to rebuild the temple, to reestablish the covenant 
community. And yet when they looked around them, they saw these powerful, godless nations and they looked inward and felt only the weakness of their situation. In that context, the promise of victory would have meant everything. So be honest. Does the prospect of Jesus' final victory encourage you? Does it excite you? I'm not asking for the Sunday school answer. We're all conditioned to say yes. Here's what I'm asking. Does the promise of Jesus' final victory have any real practical impact in your daily life? If we're honest, many of us brush past. It sounds nice, but does it mean anything to me today? If we're honest with ourselves, the concept of Jesus' final victory We're just apathetic to it. Now, I believe there are many reasons for this. Uh, In our context, in our place in the world, we can be tempted to uh, have senses that are grown dull by affluence and ease. Even in uh, whatever uh, social... stratosphere you find yourself in, we are in the the context of the world, the wealthiest of people. And our fluence and ease can dull us to the need for victory. Maybe we are apathetic to this picture because we are confused. We don't see an urgent need either spiritually or physically. For victory, which begs the question, is this victory that the text is pointing us to, is it a spiritual victory or is it a physical one? It's a trick question. <laughs> it's actually both. But we miss this. In terms of the physical, we want We want more, but are we in the place of need? If we're honest with ourselves in terms of the physical, I believe we're probably actually more closely aligned with the prosperity gospel than we care to admit. When you consider physical victory, do you find yourself wanting more of the worldly physical resources that we see around us rather than a longing for the physical world to be redeemed? The difference is critical. Because one wants more of what we see around us while the other longs for God to make all things new. And the difference has everything to do with how we view God. When we want more worldly goods, we would like God's help. But the truth is we can also roll up our sleeves, give it our best effort, and and achieve it. 
In a recent press conference in New York, Governor Cuomo was speaking about his perception on how the people of New York had flattened the curve with coronavirus. And Governor Cuomo said, God didn't do this. The people of New York did this. Now, Christians heard that. Christians heard, imagine this, a politician saying, God didn't do this. The people did this. And Christians were were riled up. We could not believe that He would make such an audacious statement. We wouldn't say such a thing. But do we believe a version of it? When we confuse God's promise of a redeemed creation for a version of simply more stuff, we also confuse who is responsible for that victory. And in our confusion, we grow apathetic to victory in Christ. Yet others of us have grown apathetic to victory because we don't have an appreciation for the depth of our spiritual need. We have been dulled to the reality of our own sin. We're not that bad. Oh, certainly we could be better, but a little moral teaching and a little effort if we put our minds to it and we can do it. Others of us have a better concept of what is needed for victory. Others of us have a better concept of the depth of our own sin. A better concept of what it means for a physical victory that this world needs redemption. And we just don't believe that it could happen. We see the depths of our own heart and think there is no way the Lord could forgive us for our sins. So we find ourselves in despair over sin, struggles, and physical needs. Are you the kind of person who refuses to get your hopes up? Are you the kind of person who won't let yourself go? to the prospect of victory. You won't let yourself go to the positive outcome. So you protect yourself from the worst happening of getting your hopes up and those hopes being dashed. Friends, if that is you, know that this vision points us to a certain victory. That's what we need. Today, as Christ Church, I believe, is to recapture a longing founded on a better definition of victory. If you've been listening and paying attention, I hope you have, as we've gone through, Vic, uh, through Zechariah, one of the biblical themes that you've heard me go back to over and over again is this uh, biblical framework of the now and the not yet. Let me put it back before you. In the now, the now is defined 
in this framework is the time between Jesus' first coming and His second coming. At His first coming, Jesus ushered in the kingdom of God. We see it specifically in Matthew and in Mark. And as Jesus is initiating His His public ministry, He tells us that the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is now. So you and I, we live in the now that is the in-between Jesus' first coming and second coming where we live as citizens of His kingdom, as citizens under His rule and reign. It is a kingdom that He ushered in victoriously. And in His victory in the now, He has given us as His citizens freedom over the punishment and the power of sin. And He has given us the ability to experience the blessing of His kingdom in the now through relationship with Him, the King of kings. That relationship is experienced in the now through the blessing of His Spirit, the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us. We get the blessing of victory now through the Spirit inside of us and, do not miss this, through our presence in the body of Christ. The church is not merely a time for us to gather on Sunday morning, sing a few songs, and hear a sermon. The church is the body of Christ, and the church is the context in which we enjoy the victory now. Yet, there remains a future fulfillment That is the now, but there will be the not yet. The not yet will be ushered in upon Jesus' second coming. The second coming in glory where there will be a full and final experience of glory that will be both spiritual and physical. Not only will we be freed from the power of and the punishment of sin, we will be freed from the very presence of it. Does that prospect, the prospect of what we experience now and what we will experience in glory, does that excite you? Does that encourage you? If not, might we recapture Longing for victory through the healthy perspective of an addict. I believe that we as the church of Jesus Christ actually have a lot to learn from our brothers and sisters who struggle with addiction and are engaged in the recovery community of a 12-step community. Look, there are plenty of problems with, uh, with 12, step, 12 step processes. There are plenty of, of issues of, of misguided trust. But if we can get beyond those for a moment, I, I, I want you to see and know that these 12 step communities full of 
addicts actually point us to a picture of redemptive community. They point us to the beauty and the power of the body. So can we learn from the healthiness of an addict? An addict who has come to recognize their struggle actually teaches us something about embracing their need. They're not hiding from anything. It is there for all the world to see. Which means that the, the addict finds health in the now through dependence upon the group. Did you catch that? The addict finds health now in dependence upon the group. I was recently listening to NPR and they were telling the story of of some of the the hidden impacts of the coronavirus quarantine. They did a story from an AA group. And there was one man in that AA group who found himself now separated from a group that was life-giving for him, a group that had given him Uh, hope and encouragement, and in his separation, his struggle with addiction became too much for him to handle. And he fell back in. Now, they interviewed this man later, and he didn't blame the coronavirus for falling back in to his uh, drug use. But... He recognized the difficulty that this separation from his group had provided. The story and the the addicts that that I've talked to, they provide a picture of embracing need where we find health independence. And the body of Christ has a lot to learn from how the addict experiences victory in the now. Yet at the same time, if that were it, if that hope of victory was only found in dependence upon the group, that would be a disheartening experience. But you see, the redeemed addict, the Christian addict, has a better hope. They know that they look forward to glory, a time where they will no longer struggle with the temptation for using and abusing. The redeemed addict experiences a longing for the final victory that they will experience in the not yet in glory where they will not only be freed from the punishment and power of their addiction, but they will be free from the very presence of it. And so I ask you, do you think that the addict is apathetic to this promise of victory that we have in Zechariah 6? I think that this promise of victory sustains him. And I also believe that you and I have much to learn. So back to our original question. How do you define victory? The non-Christian addict probably has a better concept of redemption and resurrection than many of us. The Christian addict 
actually. There's a Christ-centered framework for that redemption and resurrection. The Christian addict knows that in Christ, this long-for victory is both defined and certain. That the hope of redemption and reconciliation is found in Christ. That in Christ, we have redemption from sin. We have reconciliation with God the Father in the now. And the hope that this text points us to of a sure and certain victory will be finally and fully experienced with a redeemed and resurrected body living in a redeemed creation in the not yet. Friends, the redeemed addict teaches us this of the blessing of victory in the now through redemption and reconciliation. The blessing of victory in the not yet. Of redemption and resurrection. There are a lot of details in this text that we don't understand, but the simple meaning is clear. Our God will silence the opposition. He is a warrior who will win the victory. And He will secure an eternal rest for His children. Praise be to God. This is a victory that we can experience now in Jesus. Because on the cross, He uttered those beautiful final words, It is finished. So as we come to recognize and embrace our need, we come to see the salvation that is offered to us in Christ We are saved by grace through faith in Christ for the glory of God alone. So friends, in the now, experience that blessing of victory in union with Christ, in dependence upon His Spirit, in dependence upon His Bride. But in the not yet know that we will experience the glory of a resurrected body just as our Lord Jesus has shown us as the first fruit of the resurrection. So let's be honest with our hearts about the ways in which we have grown apathetic to this hope. Let's recapture a longing for victory. Friends, no. In Christ, this rest that we read about in Zechariah 6, this victory, it is yours as well. So cling to this hope as you cling to Christ. Lord Jesus, You are victorious. And You will one day usher in a victorious reign over all creation. Would You give us hearts that would embrace it now. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.